Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the podcast from Dream Cruise Medical Centre at Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing taking a gastrointestinal history. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording, and you know guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary, all views and opinions of the speaker's own. Hello and welcome back to Take Orally. Um, this is another early clinical experience podcast. Uh, once again, joined by Lucy. Hello, Lucy. Oh, hiya. And we are discussing taking a gastrointestinal or GI history. GI history taking, indeed. Uh, another very common presentation. Uh, well, to a very common uh, thing that we have to do in A&E. Uh, and with some very important red flags that we need to pick up in our history. Yeah, absolutely. So you're sort of leading on really from the um, cardio uh, respiratory histories that we've discussed in previous podcasts um, um, in the context of uh, your consultation. Um, uh, again, just reiterating that this is the most important part of your um, interaction with the patient um, and 80% of the time you should be able to sort of come up with your diagnosis really um, from taking a thorough history. Um, that being uh, exploring the presenting complaint in detail um, using some form of um, uh, system, whether that be Socrates or whatever you choose to use really, mm-hmm. um, and then um, exploring the symptom to death um, as it were, so um, getting as much information as possible, starting with nice open questions for your patient to be able to um, describe what's happening, um, and then once um, once they're ready, um, going to more closed questions um, about the pain to really sort of gain idea of what, what, what the underlying cause is. Mm. Um, uh, we're developing a little bit more in terms of exploring um, the symptoms related to different differentials as well um, and how they may well present um, and specific sort of risk factors for different differentials as well. Mm. Um, we can sort of touch upon that really. Um, so uh, in terms of the cardinal symptoms, once we've already explored um, the main symptom, whether that be um, sort of pain um, essentially would be one of the, the, the biggest uh, reasons people attend um, uh, either primary or secondary care, um, so abdominal pain. Um, so once you've done your, your thorough Socrates um, on the specific symptom they present with, then moving on to your other cardinal symptoms of the GI system. Mm. Um, so that being um, abdominal pain, um, distension, um, hematemesis or vomiting um, and being probably uh, quite specific about sort of triggers for that mm. and colour um, uh, there's a lot of people that present with hematemesis or you see the words coffee ground vomit coffee ground vomit which gastroenterologists <laughs> love they, they love that love expression it. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm uh, I'm not sure if you've done any podcasting with the gastroenterologist yet. Um, we, there is an Upper GI Bleed podcast, which I'll draw people hey, to at this point. And uh, do they touch upon coffee ground vomit? I think there is a discussion about coffee ground vomit <laughs> at that point, yeah. We also have an acute abdomen podcast as well, which I think I'd signpost people to. Hey, that's brilliant. a two-part okay. um, that goes through some cases as well. So hey, if we're thinking about pain, that's another good one to look at. Um, so moving on from there, think about uh, bowel habit, um, so constipation, diarrhoea, uh, whether there's blood present, um, whether that's fresh red blood mm-hmm. and whether it's melina, so um, metabolised blood um, being seen. Once smelt, never forgotten. Once smelt, never forgotten. Some people have it as a name, don't they? They do, melina. Po- popular woman's yeah. name, yeah. Chlamydia <laughs> is also a girl's name as well. Mm. Mm. And candida. <laughs> candida. There we go. <laughs> 
we're thinking about uh, other symptoms such as weight loss and appetite. So anorexia um, could be a, um, a, either an associated symptom or a presenting uh, presenting symptom as well. Um, dysphagia, um, so um, difficulty in swallowing, or donophagia, where you have pain in swallowing. And I guess there needs to be some exploration around that as to whether it's solids or liquids that mm. are causing the issue, or if there is a difference between the two. Um, again, you need to be doing this to death and thinking about how long has this been going on has it been gradually building up did it start with a difficulty in swallowing and then move to a, a painful swallow um, and just really getting down to the um i hate using this word but minutiae of of the symptom um uh, and then the other the final symptom being um gastroesophageal reflux or gourd Mm. <laughs> if you're looking at the diagnosis very, very often a diagnosis of exclusion in A&E absolutely um, you know chest pain is chest pain and we have to think about that but yeah, yeah. okay good um, so in addition to that um, uh, I would say that you've got your cardinal symptoms but then you have your additional systemic symptoms that I would yeah. always ask about um, or certainly look for say things like jaundice fever malaise um, and fatigue um, in patients um, they are systemic symptoms but maybe related um, significantly to the GI system so um, to ask about those as well mm-hmm. um, it's a tricky thing isn't it um, uh, GI I think um, from a perspective of a, a newly qualified ACP or someone training as an ACP this is unfamiliar mm. um, cardiorespiratory is something that's really um, honed in upon um, um, whether it be medical um, or nursing mm. um, training um, whereas the gastrointestinal uh, system is slightly more foreign to, to most imagine <laughs> you're, you're on a boat you're, you're in your boat and you're in the sea and you're far out from land and you look over and you see a big shadow underneath you so there is something there so your patient has abdominal pain there is some pain but the question that then goes through your head is is this a whale or a dolphin something nice and friendly friendly that's that's there it might knock you a bit but it's going to leave you alone or is it a hungry shark that you need to get away from and do something about very very quickly and the 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 data from before it snaps up your registration absolutely before it snaps up your registration and the data from archem i believe is something that if you can any attenders with abdominal pain 40 percent we don't find a cause 20 percent is appendicitis 20 percent is biliary and then there's 20 something else and that something else obviously carries an awful lot of things yeah absolutely some of the really scary stuff triple a ectopic pregnancy <laughs> perforation really you know uh, all the stuff that you should never miss so you know there's a lot there i think you've covered it there actually that sometimes i feel a bit cheated if i don't come to a conclusion um and i'm not I've not found a clear answer by the end of doing a thorough history and examination on the patient or even with, with investigations. Actually, there's no clear yeah. cause identified. But actually, um, I think sometimes GI symptoms are a long game, aren't they? There is yeah. further investigations that need to be done and they're not necessarily something you can do either within primary care um, or for our, from my perspective, from a, an A&E perspective. Yeah. Um, so there is some specialism that might need to be involved as well. Essentially, they're they're a hard bunch, aren't they? But I guess the main thing is to know the rules um, of 
the scary stuff that mm. you would not want to miss and if you focus on the particular demographic of patient that might present with the scary stuff mm. <laughs> um, then you're less likely to miss that and um, so it's got to be on your radar really mm. um, and certainly from um, the lecturer for the ACP Masters Afternoons, um, we focus on looking at uh, pregnancy um, as a your risk group um, presenting with the dominant pain, not with the obvious things such as labour. Although <laughs> it does happen. <laughs> Although it does happen. Um, thinking about how pregnancy alters your anatomy grossly within the ad um, abdomen. Um, they present with things all pregnancy related clearly but they're not null and void from presenting with everything else the rest of the population could present with so essentially you've just got a um pandora's box mm. can i say that <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know what percentage of young women coming to a and &E are pregnant i've no idea jamie a hundred percent unless you check <laughs> absolutely <laughs> So always check. If you've got a woman of reproductive age, she's pregnant until you check otherwise. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, so it's always important to think about ectopic pregnancy. This is the, the unilateral pain. Uh, obviously, it's the early stages of pregnancy, so they may well be known to be pregnant and not have had their first scan yet. They may have had risk factors for um, ectopic pregnancy, so a previous ectopic pregnancy, pelvic inflammatory disease, uh, an IUD in situ uh, always got to think about those things I guess one of the you, you obviously mentioned Jamie about um, making sure you're doing your pregnancy testing um, I, I even if somebody says that there's no chance they could be pregnant I'm quite specific with them on so there's no chance of pregnancy are you taking contraception are you using contraception um, and have you had unprotected intercourse because actually if if the answer is no I'm not on any contraception or use contraception and I'm having unprotected intercourse then actually there is a always a chance that you could be pregnant mm. whether they say they had their most recent period um, uh, is kind of irrelevant really mm. um, so uh, uh, yeah, essentially, uh, if they're within reproductive age, yeah, then doing a, doing pregnancy test, um, both both urine and um, and uh, a blood HCG if you're able to. Yep. Um, I um, I would say in terms of red flags. Um, so I think you mentioned it um, in terms of patients presenting with unilateral pain, particularly in early pregnancy. So mm. um, typically before eight, around sort of eight weeks. Um, would be uh, presenting time for things like ectopic. Um, uh, essentially, it's, it's ectopic unless it's um, in a woman of reproductive age until proven otherwise. Um, less so after about 10 weeks, because actually the um, uh, embryos got so big by that point, it would have caused catastrophic Absolutely, yeah. damage. Um, so uh, I guess you just need to be very clear on um, times of conception. And mm. if, if that's not clear at all, then ectopic is always on your radar. Mm. Um, appendicitis is really hard in terms of thinking about pregnant women, even in the early stages as well, mm. um, uh, with sort of, uh, changes in anatomy obviously there's stretching of the uterus but also the round ligaments um, mm. uh, bilaterally meaning that the patients can come in and complain of sort of sharp stabbing pains um, but equally could be something like appendicitis or ectopic pregnancy so you need to have that um, suspicion um, an index of suspicion um, on your mind really all the time yeah 
Um, uh, the obviously we spoke about um, uh, the obvious obstetric um, issues, so labour, but also things like placental abruption, which obviously are, are life-threatening for mum too, um, uh, uh, and things like placental infarct, which is life-threatening for fetus. Um, and having obstetric help um, as soon as possible, really, if you're concerned about any of those things. Um, and then. Um, Alongside the um, other obstetric um, risks is things later in pregnancy, more so, but thinking about sort of uh, preeclampsia and um, help syndrome, um, so hemolysis, elevated LFTs, um, and a low platelet count um, in, pre- uh, in the third trimester um, is sort of a, a precursor. Really, like There's also that. a preeclampsia podcast if you want to listen about that. <laughs> <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Always plug on message. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, and moving away just from the obstetric risk, um, but things that can increase are things like um, uh, cholecystitis. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of the things that like gallstones within pregnancy um, can increase and in the postpartum period as well. Um, but cholestasis um, is obviously a risk, and pay, um, they would need um, an obstetric uh, review um, for that and potentially an early, early um, induction. Um, uh, the other things that are obviously at risk are things like you know, the usual suspects of things like constipation, um, slower gut transit, um, etc. Um, piles, unfortunately. It's, it's lovely being a woman having a baby. Um, so all of the things that we potentially could get um, in the in the non- normal population. The non-pregnant population. The non-pregnant population. Uh, so another risky group is uh, our elderly patients, and so I think we've all got we've yeah. all got some stories about near misses and, and or maybe misses uh, in elderly patients coming in with abdominal pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an Arkem alert that they have a six to eight times increased mortality coming in with abdo pain to a non-elderly patient coming in with abdominal pain. Yeah, that was back in 2016, where essentially they recommended that anybody. Um, an older person attending ED would um, essentially your your investigation of choice is going to be a CT. Yeah. Um, so I mean, um, but I mean uh, at least here pain. in our department, that you have a discussion with a senior, if nothing else, yeah. you discuss your patient with a senior. Um, but yeah, they they usually they have other comorbidities, which makes anything they have difficult. If you're a patient with severe COPD who's got yeah. cholecystitis, you're going to be more unwell than patient without COPD coming with cholecystitis, they're on medication that masks things, so they may be on a beta blocker, so they never become tacky with you. They don't mount the tachycardia response. Um, They lose muscle mass, so they don't guard, their somatic sensation, visceral sensation, somatic sensation isn't as good, so they, they, you know, appendicitis in the elderly isn't going to be the classic umbilical down to right, so it's a minefield basically with them, Um, approach them cautiously. Absolutely. Um, and I think probably don't be reassured if they've had um, a strong painkiller such as opiates um, that they don't now have pain because mm. actually the principles still apply um, that they had bad enough pain that required opiates to, to relieve yeah, um, in itself is a bit of a red flag, isn't it? Um, so they're, they're, they're a, a risky group, like you say, um, senior help early, really, um, and discussion, mm. um, and have a higher index of suspicion of something serious underlying mm. that. Um, yeah. Um, cool. Alongside, you mentioned about sort of comorbidities, so thinking about um, people with uh, multiple comorbidities on medications, mm-hmm. um, 
and we see uh, many many patients on multiple <laughs> medications um, some of which maybe they do need to be on some of which may have just been re-prescribed and re-prescribed and re-prescribed and actually um, there is a there is an emphasis that maybe we should uh, have reg more regular uh, reg um, med reviews uh, mm. for patients um, to see if actually what they're on is still applicable. Mm. Um, but in terms of the medications that, that make me bristle a little bit when somebody attends with abdominal pain are things like methotrexate. Mm. Um, uh, in terms of not, um, again, mounting a normal uh, response um, and having um, uh, a higher incidence of, of being susceptible to things like infection. In terms of steroids yep. as well, um, uh, slightly concerning. Um, I guess the other thing to add in there would be things like NSAIDs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so is there um, a risk of irritating, irritating the, yeah, the, the GI? Absolutely. The gastro. And uh, I always remember a patient that attended. She, I mean, she was young. She was um, she was early forties, um, and had had um, new uh, uh, new braces. Yeah. Um, and have been taking because it was quite painful obviously having your mm. teeth shunted <laughs> um, into different directions um, and had been taking NSAIDs for uh, I think probably a four week period mm. and presented with um, hematemesis so mm. frank fresh red blood and she just irritated her stomach lining so much by taking them for such a prolonged period of time um, so yeah that's um, an important one to think about um, I guess the other thing to think about is our non-intentional unintentional overdoses yeah. the patient's presenting with a pain whether whether that be abdominal pain or dental pain um as one of the typical ones that we might see yeah. um and um have just taken too many trying to alleviate their pain um uh, and i guess alongside that our intentional overdoses obviously a worrying worrisome group in terms of abdominal pain and yeah. um, the effects on the liver um cancer as well so if you have a patient who's known to have cancer uh, so cancer, known to have cancers, yeah, or previous cancers, or previous um, cancers yeah. uh, that are assumed to be um, cured or in remission. Yeah. <laughs> or in remission. Um, about or things. abdominal pain along with the night sweats and weight loss and all of that stuff. All of your worrying history. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Um, I guess the concern would be sort of previous surgeries as a result of um, previous cancers. So if they've had a bowel resection and things in the past. Um, in addition to everything else that mm. pe other patients might present with as well, they've got uh, a higher risk of things like obstruction, adhesions, um, perforations. Yeah. Um, uh, so um, a concerning group from that perspective. Yeah. Um, Another concerning group is the patient with recent surgery. Recent surgery. Now, this is something that was sort of hammered into me quite a bit by one of my consultants when I was at medical school. Mm about any recent surgery regardless what it was whether it was laparoscopic uh, regardless of where the anatomy was regardless of how unremarkable the surgery was and they've been fine if they are coming back and his in particular was 10 days so uh, uh, 10 to 14 days post-surgery consider that something has been nicked the, the anastomosis has started leaking or there was some sort of injury that was done that hasn't been picking up and there's a leak, there's a collection, something is going off in that abdomen and actually it's a, it's a doctrine I stick to and it served me really, really well that mm. patients coming in who look quite well but they've had a recent surgery, they've had a scan and they've been shown to have something, a collection or a leak. Yeah.
No, the only other thing is obviously the increased risk, just generally for surgery, so yeah. increased risk of clotting, so thinking about bowel ischemias and things like that, um, as one of the other one of the other reasons. Um, but no, essentially, you've in a nutshell mm. said it all. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a rough rule of thumb. So it was like a few hours post-surgery hemorrhage. You're not going to really see those in A&E, but a few hours post-surgery complications hemorrhage. So you know your unwell patient is going to be bleeding. A few days post-surgery wound infection, usually ten to fourteen days bowel leak or something like that or to the to those effects. And, and I, I stick to that, and it's served me very very well. And then thinking about just generally red flags mm. um, alongside all of those, as if it wasn't complicated enough. <laughs> um, so. Um, Red flag, I think you've touched, touched on a few, few of them already actually. So it indicated that something more concerning is going on um, and um, increases sort of the probability of sort of life-threatening conditions. Um, so alongside all the things that we've discussed so far, you mentioned um, about weight loss, mm, um, yeah. night pain um, or rectal bleeding. Um, and without really trying, that's always something that is concerning when you think about yeah. these symptoms with somebody presenting with abdominal pain. Um, and an iron deficiency anemia, that's another one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Any change in um, bowel habit. Any yeah. change in bowel habit. And I, I, we talk one about constipation as a diagnosis, yeah. but actually it's a symptom in itself, really. Yeah. Um, and um, is a consequence of, of something something else happening. So um, it's always a differential of exclusion in my mind. Mm. Um, but actually there is normally something that's causing the constip yeah. constipation. It's sort of finding the reason for that. Um, and certainly would need um, further investigation if there was no response to that. Um, uh, so dyspepsia is a, another sort of red flag in the over 55s, um, thinking about um, the need for endoscopy um, with a potential cause of malignancy. Um, uh, or even pancreatic cancers, um, which are so elusive in how they present oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that you've got to have, again, a high index of suspicion for those. Yeah, so, so they say the same about ovarian cancer as well, isn't it? There's another podcast on, on that as well. Oh, but, you know, the older patients, that vague abdominal pain, that long-standing, yeah. vague bloating, yeah. back pain for your pancreatic cancer. And this, unfortunately, is those things that, that can make the news going, oh, my cancer was missed for two years and things. And it's tragic, but it's such these are very difficult things to pick up. Really hard. Um, I would also say that in terms of, and I, I think this is something that's been locally within um, Nottinghamshire, um, has been um, on the news in terms of our incidence of alcohol dependency yeah. um, is, is, is markedly high in comparison yeah. to the rest of the country. Um, and thinking about alcohol history, not just on patients presenting with abdominal pain, I would say most patients that you see ensure that you do get an accurate alcohol mm -hmm. history because there's, there's an intervention thing uh, that we would need to do at that stage to say, do you know what, you're drinking heavily and we need to we need to nip this in the bud. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before it becomes out of hand. But if you have somebody who's presenting with upper GI bleeding, then there needs to be a really clear alcohol history on, on their alcohol intake um, to assess whether they're going to be at a higher risk of things like esophageal varices as a cause of their bleed. Um, so very key not to miss that that aspect of your history. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I also think probably 
try to sort of check yourself in terms of your own bias um, mm. um, and thinking about somebody who presents with abdominal pain but has a history of for instance irritable bowel syndrome or a chronic history of endometriosis yeah. again are at risk for all the other different differentials yeah, for abdominal absolutely. pain I mean I, I always find with these you know if they've got recurrent pancreatitis or endometriosis uh, uh, mind you most chronic problems is this like your normal pain that you have with your pancreatitis and, and as you said we do see patients sadly coming in very frequently with alcohol pancreatitis and, and they'll go yeah this is exactly like my pain it started the same it's exactly the same and that's in a way reassuring it helps us but if they do say this is different this isn't like my normal endometriosis pain. This is different. This mm. is in a different place, etc., etc. Listen to that. Listen to it, because actually the patient generally knows whether, yeah, it, whether it is that or not. Absolutely. Um, so um, I guess that's sort of my final point really on this is that um, uh, recognise your own biases remember your red flags um, mm. with abdominal pains um, and once you've completed your full and thorough history you mm. should have a, a few differentials in your mind from that mm. um, on how you're going to then A, do your examination mm. um, and complete your examination and then where you're going to go in terms of your investigations yeah. um, and appropriate investigations for your patient group Mm, absolutely good anything else Lucy is that GI history achieved that is GI history achieved marvellous thank you so much Lucy thank you bye bye that was the Take Orally uh, GI history podcast where you can find the blog entry for this podcast as with our other podcasts at uh, www.takeorally.com remember you can subscribe to Take Orally on both SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts Take Orally is also on both Facebook and Twitter for more information about research and education opportunities with emergency medicine acute medicine major trauma remember to check out NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter